James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she, <clears throat> when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. There. As soon as I hit the X to go back to a small screen, technology, you got to love it. When it. Whenever it works and whenever it doesn't, you just got to roll with it. The story of Rahab is one that should remind us of the wonderful gift of God's grace. Reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul to Titus in Titus chapter 2 and verse, verses 11 and following where he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession, zealous for good deeds. As we will look at the story of Rahab, it is just a small part of the overall story of the Old Testament. It's one small interaction that this one woman a prostitute who has an interaction with a couple of Israelite spies and because of her actions she was saved and is, has a very important part in the story of Jesus, actually. And she has a connection to the New Testament where two different authors the Hebrew writer and, the, and James, both mention her and commend her for her faith and her obedience. And particularly in James chapter 2, as we heard in our reading, where James, as he has been talking about Abraham, think about you can't get any more Jewish than Abraham, can you? And you think about the importance of Abraham. But then he... Then, after he has looked at the example of Abraham and how he was obedient and how he was faithful, how he demonstrated that faith by his works through the offering of his son Isaac, he then looks at Rahab, a Gentile woman, a harlot, someone who was of very low esteem in terms of the, how she might be perceived. And yet, she was justified by her faith and her works just in the same vein as Abraham was. And so you can talk about Abraham and you can talk about Rahab in the same breath, in the same context of Scripture. And what that shows us 
and should emphasize to us is that she becomes this portrait of grace, of how God's grace is capable of saving us even whenever we have lived a life of sin. And so tonight, I want to consider the example of Rahab. I want to look at her story in the the context where we find her in Joshua chapter 2, where we're first introduced to her, and look at some of the significant lessons that we can find from her life and that are brought over into the New Testament that are important for us to consider this evening. And the first thing that we just need to recognize is that whenever you talk about Rahab, you just notice how she is spoken of. In Hebrews chapter 11, in that great chapter of people of faith, where in Hebrews chapter 11 and in verse 31, the Hebrew writer says, By faith Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. And I want you to just notice here in this verse and in James chapter 2 as well, how Rahab is identified. She's not noted as Rahab the righteous woman. She is still called Rahab the harlot. Because there's an important lesson here that we all need to just stop and recognize, and that is sin sticks with us. And that sometimes it is hard to get rid of the stigma that has become attached with our sin. Now, I'm not saying that we can't be forgiven of our sin. But sometimes people will only remember us for the sins that we have previously committed. And so we need to think about our reputation. We need to think about the choices that we need that we might make. And we need to think about what kind of message we might be sending to others. Because there are names that just are attached to uh, certain ideas. If I were to say Bozo the, come on, you can participate. The clown. All right, Jabba the Hut. Oh wow, that one I was surprised by. Yeah, and then Oscar the. Yeah, see, they're just ideas and stigmas that are attached to certain people. And although Rahab the Harlot, see, okay. Got to make sure you're paying attention. Although she is justified, and the point that the Hebrew writer is making is that she is saved by her faith, and James is making that same point that she is justified by her faith. She is mentioned right there alongside the other men and women of faith, like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and the children of Israel. And yet, here she is, she is still known by her sin of harlotry. And that's something that should give us great pause, that our reputation can be ruined by just one sin, by one lifestyle that we might choose to make. You can turn to the story of Rahab in the book of Joshua, in Joshua chapter 2 where we are first introduced to Rahab in Joshua chapter 2 and in verse 1. It says, Then Joshua the son of Nun sent two men as spies secretly from Shittim, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab, 
and lodged there. And so you have these Israelite spies that stay with Rahab. And here she is introduced as a harlot, and her house was a house of harlotry. That is just the stigma and association that you have with Rahab. And that should give us something to think about whenever we might be about to participate in something, when we are about to do something that might be sin and a violation of God's law, is it going to haunt us for the rest of our lives? Is it going to be the one thing, the one choice, the one decision that people will always remember us by? It's interesting as you see that the these spies go into the land of Canaan. They come to the city of Jericho. They stay with uh, Rahab in her house. Then the king of Jericho, it says, he is looking for these spies. It was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. The king, where does he go? He goes straight to Rahab. He goes straight to Rahab's house and he's like, I want to talk to you. Have you ever wondered why that might be? It would not have been at all uncommon from his perspective that two men, strange men, would come into her house at night. And so he wanted to go talk to her. Because he thought... There, I can find them. Our sin can haunt us and it can stick with us and it can be something that follows us around everywhere that we go. No matter how old we might be, no matter how much we try to undo our sin and be forgiven of the wrongs that we have done. There might be people who always will judge us and think of us and try to characterize us by the sins that we have made in our past. And we need to recognize that, especially young people tonight, that before you participate in anything, you need to always ask yourself, is this something that will ruin my reputation for the rest of my life? Is this going to be something that, that people will judge me by from here on out, as long as they may know me? And if it is, then we need to think, very hard about is this worth that? Is this worth jeopardizing my reputation and my life and what people will perceive of me? And the second thing that we want to see in the story of Rahab is that sin is progressive. Not only does sin can that stick with us, sin is progressive. There's a progressive nature to sin. Notice in Joshua chapter 2, after the king of Jericho comes to Rahab's house. And we are already told there at the end of verse 1 that these spies have come there to lodge with Rahab. In verse 4 it says, But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. It came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark that the men went out, I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. And here is an interesting case where Rahab, she actually tells a little bit of a lie, doesn't she? 
And maybe some people don't like saying that Rahab lies. Maybe she, if you're like my grandmother, she doesn't like the word lie. Maybe I got to say the word fib. <laughs> Rahab told a fib here. She does something that she she told the king of Jericho an untruth in order to deceive him. In my de- definition, in my textbook, that's a lie. We can talk about our motives and all that kind of thing, but what I want you to see is that sin oftentimes breeds more sin, doesn't it? That once we make the choice to participate in one kind of lifestyle, especially like her, where it's a lifestyle of harlotry, to remain any kind, to keep any kind of decency, it would probably require telling some lies. It would require telling some stories. It would require concocting some ideas and some untruths that you might tell people in order to ease the idea that you're a person of harlotry. And she seems to have no hesitation because she has hidden the spies and yet she tells the king they've left the city and go look for them. That's the nature of what sin will do once we make that choice to participate in something that is wrong and sinful then it's going to become easier for us to do something else that might be wrong and sinful. In the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 30, there's a particular phrase here that I love in the book of Isaiah that just really has stuck with me throughout the years. In Isaiah chapter 30, and in verse 1, the very first verse of this chapter where Isaiah is writing this scathing rebuke and condemnation against the people of Judah. He says in verse 1, Woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, who execute a plan but not mine, and make an alliance but not of my spirit, in order to add sin to sin. Then here we have to begin to add sin to every other sin. In order to continue down that road of sin, it requires more sin, doesn't it? We've all been down that road at some point or another, haven't we? That we've done something that was wrong and shameful and it was sinful where we transgressed God's law. Maybe it was telling a lie. Maybe that required us to tell another lie. To cover up that first lie. Maybe we then had to then... uh, actually do something that was wrong and sinful in order to cover up that and to continue down that road of deceit. Maybe it was doing something that we should not have ever been doing and thinking about. And what we see is in her actions is that she, Rahab here, tells a lie. And it seems that her the lifestyle that she had, the choices that she had been making throughout her life, did not give her much pause in this. And whenever sin is taking place in our life, it usually rarely just stays to be one sin. It usually multiplies. In the book of Psalms, in Psalm 1, in the very first Psalm, I think we see this idea of the progressive nature of sin as it is rebuked here in the opening psalm, this psalm is trying to communicate and convey to the reader that 
we should be delighting in the law of the Lord. And that's where our meditation and our mind ought to be dwelling, that we should seek to do what is right and pleasing to God. That's what our motive and our goal should be as a child of God. But I want you to see what he says in verse 1. He says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. I want you to see that. What you see is that he don't walk in, he doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, but neither is he going to draw closer and standing among those who are wicked, right? He says he's not going to walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor is he going to stand in the path of sinners, and he's certainly not going to sit in the seat of scoffers, where he would just draw closer and closer to those who would be doing what is wrong. I think there's an important lesson there for each and every one of us, but especially our young people, whenever they might be going to school, whenever they might be facing challenges among their friends and their peers, that sometimes it's hard to be on the outside, isn't it? It's hard to stand on the outside. And so we want to draw a little bit closer. Well, maybe I'll just stand around my friends. I may not tell any dirty jokes. I may not say any bad words, but I'll just be around them. And I won't say anything or do anything bad. I'm just going to be a little bit closer to what's going on. I want to be in the know. I don't want to be ostracized. I don't want to be thought of as being different. And you think I'm just talking about young people. I don't talk about anyone, right? That's the thing. That's everyone. But then what happens, sometimes we're right there in the thick of it. We're right there sitting in the seat of the scoffers and we're telling the jokes, we're telling the the lies, we're doing the dirty work, aren't we? Sin can be progressive in nature. And we can add sin to sin. And we've got to be careful about that. And that's something that we can see in the story of Rahab. That sin's progressive nature, it's going to lead us from walking where we shouldn't walk and standing where we shouldn't stand and it's going to lead us to sitting where we should not sit. There's a third point that we see from the story of Rahab that we ought to consider. And that is, it is useless to fight against God. In Joshua chapter 2, in Joshua chapter 2, and in verse 6, after Rahab has told the king of Jericho this falsehood to lead him astray to, for looking for those spies, it says in verse 6, But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax which she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued them on the road to the Jordan to the fords, and as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone out, they shut the gates. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. 
When we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. It's amazing, here she is, this Canaanite woman, this woman of the city of Jericho, this woman of harlotry. Here are two Israelite spies and here she is speaking with them and she is talking with them. And she says, we have heard about all the great mighty deeds that God has done for you. And she says, our hearts melted. There was no strength that remained in any of us. And we do not have any courage because of your God. Because of what He has done. And so, you know who she wanted to ally herself with? Not the king of Jericho. She wanted to ally herself with God. With Israel's God. With our God. And she responded in a way that you would expect anyone to respond when hearing about the great and mighty deeds of God, with hearing about His power and His blessings. She responds in belief, with trust, fear, and reverence. And she understands something very important that she wants to be on the side of God. And that's something that we read about that becomes an issue in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 5, when the children of Israel were, or rather, sorry, whenever the apostles were preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus Christ, and they were told to quit preaching in the name of Jesus. They were facing some persecution. They were facing imprisonment. And in Acts chapter 5, they are standing before the Sanhedrin council. And you had this great teacher of the law, a Pharisee named Gamaliel. He was also the instructor of the Apostle Paul. And Gamaliel, he stands up and he gives this speech. And he's very wise in what he says. I think he's also very foolish in another sense. But he stands up to the council. And he says in verse 36, as he's talking about some history of the people of Israel and how there have always been people who have tried to lead others astray. And so he's characterizing the apostles as just another group, another people, another group who is trying to lead Israelites astray. And he says in verse 36, for some time ago, Theudas rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined up with him. But he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this, Man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them or else you may be found 
fighting against God. He's saying we need to leave the apostles alone because if their, their leader has died, Jesus of Nazareth, you just give it a little bit more time and it's all just going to dwindle out. It's going to quit. He says, but if it's from God, watch out because you will be found opposing God. You'll be fighting against Him. Whether Gamaliel was right in the application of it, he at least understood this principle. You don't want to be found on the wrong side. You don't want to be found fighting against the Lord. Now, I think he chose the wrong side because what happens just after this, it says in verse 40, they took his advice and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. So they say, all right, Gamaliel, we kind of like what you're saying, but we're going to beat them just in, just in case you're wrong and then we're going to send them out the door. <laughs> There's an important principle that we need to recognize and understand that if something is from man, it's going to fail. But if it comes from God, it will succeed because God is sovereign and He will show providential control. And we should never be found opposing the God who raised Jesus from the dead. And Rahab, she never saw Jesus raised, but she saw enough evidence and proof that convinced her. She didn't even see it with her own eyes. She heard about it. And it convinced her that she wanted to be on God's side. When we have the Lord on our side, then we will succeed. In the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 8, in Romans chapter 8, and in verse 31, the Apostle Paul asks this question, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? If we're on the side of God, then we have God's blessing and His favor with us. And that should give us a great deal of encouragement. And we should never want to be found opposing the Lord. And so we don't want to be found fighting against God as Gamaliel warned as he said, but if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. If we find ourselves opposing God, we're choosing the side of losing, not the side of victory. But if we choose the side of God, we're on the path to victory. A fourth point that we see from the story of Rahab is that salvation is by God's grace. And that's something that I don't even know the Israelites truly understood. But Rahab, she was very perceptive. Notice there is something there in Joshua chapter 2 and in verse 9. As she is speaking to the spies, she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that, terror, that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. You notice what she said? That God is giving you the land. She's very perceptive about a very important reality. And that is 
the children of Israel took the promised land because it was by God's grace. It was by God's gift. By God's choice. It was not because the children of Israel deserved the promised land. Go read in Deuteronomy chapter 9 and you just read about how Moses tells the children of Israel that you don't deserve the land. It's not because of your righteousness that you're being given the land. It's in fact just because of the very wickedness of the Canaanites that God is giving you the land. And here Rahab is a Canaanite. And she's picking up on this great and important truth that God is bringing the children of Israel into the land by His grace. She understood that deliverance and salvation come from God's grace. And that's something that we all need to recognize. That salvation is by God's grace. Our salvation. Because we've all been where Rahab is. Where we have done something that brought shame and a stigma to our name and our reputation. We have added upon those poor choices. We've allowed sin's progressive nature to harm us and destroy us and to eat us up from the inside out. We tried to hide and cover our sin. And now we have been transformed by God's grace and it may be easy for us to forget where we once were. Rahab understands this vital principle that the Apostle Paul highlights in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. And that those two verses in Ephesians chapter 2 are right there smack in the middle of this context where Paul has been talking about how we were dead in our trespasses and sins in verse 1. And that how we once walked according to the course of this world that we were following after the prince of the power of the air that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And yet, he says, because of that, that's where we once were, but God, in verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That salvation and our, the forgiveness of our sins, it's not because we deserved that grace or that forgiveness. The, the salvation that we have received has been completely by God's grace that we did not deserve it. We were not deserving or we have not earned that salvation. Now, that does not diminish at all the necessity of obedience because what we see throughout the Scriptures is that grace is oftentimes conditioned upon certain things, certain criteria. 
that we have to be obedient and do what God has said, that we need to reciprocate grace. But there is the important principle here that salvation is by God's grace, and that is something that Rahab came to have a very clear understanding of. But what we also see about the story of Rahab is that faith without works just will not work. In James chapter 2, that's the point that James is trying to illustrate for us, that here, if we're going to be people who have faith, true faith, biblical faith, saving faith, then we have to have works. We have to have obedience that is in harmony with that faith. He says in James chapter 2 and verse 24, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Now we see here that James is commending her for her works and her faith. That when she received the messengers that came from Israel, and when she preserved their life and saved them, her faith and her obedience are evident. In the book of Joshua, in Joshua chapter 2 and in verse 20, as the spies, they make this promise to Rahab, they, say, they tell her in verse 20, but if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be free from the oath which you made us swear. And they go about and they tell her that if she will put a cord, a scarlet cord out of her window, it says in verse 21, she said, according to your word, so be it. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. And that cord would be a symbol to them. And they, if she did not follow these instructions, then she would not be preserved as we saw in verse 20. You turn over just a couple of chapters later in chapter 6 of Joshua. In Joshua chapter 6 and verse 22, when the children of Israel have marched around the city and the walls came tumbling down, it says in verse 22, Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the harlot's house and bring the woman and all she has out of there as you have sworn to her. And you have seen her act in faith in her works, that they worked in harmony with that faith and that she was not just in it for herself, she was in it to demonstrate faith. A faith that was working and living and thriving. That's an important lesson that we see in the life of Rahab. But one final point for your consideration tonight is that what we see in the story of Rahab, this might be the most important point of all. is that God can change your life. No matter what you've done, no matter how deeply you've gotten involved in sin, 
No matter if you've made the choices to fight against God or if you've not appreciated His grace, God can change your life. Sometimes you might talk to people and they feel that God just will will not or cannot save them because they've just made too many bad choices. They have too much guilt that they have to overcome. And Rahab's life, I think, proves beyond a shadow of doubt that God's grace covers a multitude of sins. Because Rahab went from being a woman of prostitution to a woman who is willing to share her home with God's people from sin to hospitality. She went from being a woman of the darkness to being a child of the light. And no matter what choices you've made in the past, no matter how deeply you've gotten involved in sin, God can use you. He can use you as an instrument for His grace. Because Rahab becomes a very important figure. Here's this woman of harlotry and prostitution. And after she was saved in Joshua chapter 6, when the children of Israel and Joshua sinned, the spies to go fetch her. She was not destroyed when Jericho was taken. What we see is that it's not just about our past. What matters is how we're going to live now. How we live from here on out. Because Rahab becomes an extremely important figure. Because without Rahab, you don't get to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, in Matthew chapter 1, you know, you don't, sometimes we don't like reading all those genealogies and all those long lists of names because we can't pronounce half of them. They're hard to pronounce, all that kind of thing. In Matthew chapter 1, and in verse 1, it says, The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then notice verse 5. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. There she is. Right there. In the genealogy of Jesus our Lord and our Savior. Was God able to use her? Was, she, was He able to redeem her from her past and her wickedness? While she might have been a woman of prostitution, here she becomes a woman of righteousness who is pivotal in bringing us our Savior, Jesus Christ, to this earth. Can you imagine the kind of change that she would have undergone? The kind of change that she 
would have felt in her life. God can use anyone to fulfill His plan and His work no matter what life you used to live. What matters is the life that you choose to live from here on out. And those are some of the important lessons that we need to learn from Rahab the harlot. Now we can be encouraged that salvation is from the grace of God. And that when we have faith in Him and we demonstrate our faith and we have a faith that's willing to work and obey and serve God and live for Him, then we will be surprised how God can use us in service unto Him. Tonight, if you're not a child of God, we want you to become a Christian. We would encourage you to become obedient to Him tonight. And if you have already made the decision to follow Christ and you've been baptized into His name, but you've not been serving Him faithfully, you've turned back to sin, think about Rahab. Think about her. And how she repented and turned from a life of sin and became useful in the service of God. Repent of your wickedness. Confess your sins. Pray that God might forgive you. If we, are, we can help you in some way, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?